We have a new sponsor for this episode. I'm very excited to announce that the Pinball Lounge has come on board and they want me to talk about the event that they have going on Saturday, February 26th. It is the Rush Pinball Release Celebration. When I say Rush, I mean fucking Rush. This life is not for rent, motherfucker. Doors at 2 p.m., tournament at 3 p.m., a show at 5 p.m. All you can play pinball on over 40 machines, including three Rush machines. We have the Stern Army release party tournament. We have Rush Karaoke, which fucking, that sounds like an amazing time. You have Jeff Scott classical guitar performance and a Rush Hour tribute band, which Rush Hour is the best fucking name for a, a Rush tribute band. So yeah, check them out. Again, it's the Pinball Lounge. They're Central Florida's place for pinball. This is happening at 376 East Broadway Street in Oviedo, Florida. That is 32765pinballlounge.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to a Masters Class edition of Masters of the Cinematic Universe. It's a lot of mastering. There's so many masters. <laughs> the master yeah, master. Masters Class, the Master Master, Master yeah. Shake. What? Why did you call me? Did you say my name? <laughs> <laughs> I can do a, master, a pretty mean Master Shake. Let me hit me. Um, it's never too early in the episode for an impression. What? Why do you think I'm over here just, just here for your amusement? Do you think like I'm gonna just make any voice you want to hear? <laughs> I don't know. I gotta give something to talk about, but it's a, it's just be really high pitched and irritated. Um, I like it, man. I yeah. like it. I was at a convention recently with that that dude was there. Dana Snyder. Yes, man. Dude, I love him. Yeah, that was a that was a really fun show. And then we went to the movies, me and my brother, to see the the world premiere of the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie, and we did not know wait, what we wait. were looking at. It's not the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movies. Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon film for theaters. Film for theaters. It was not good, Joe. <laughs> not good. I liked it, but I mean, they did have the Neil Peart Rush uh, drum solo of life. It, they did. The intro was the strongest part of that movie with the with the yeah. let's all go Crazy to the movies wizard. food and you know oh. turn into a death metal band. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. But but like uh, Neil Peart plays the drum solo to bring people back to life, which is awesome. So I wish he would have played it for himself. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and while we're talking about Neil Peart, maybe there's something else you should mention, Eric. There is something else I should mention that is very topical today. Or I should say tomorrow is your last chance because tomorrow is the Rush Pinball Release Celebration by the Pinball Lounge. That is Saturday, February 26th, doors at 2 p.m., tournament at 3 p.m., show at 5 p.m. All you can play pinball in over 40 machines, including three Rush machines. The Stern Army Release Party Tournament, Rush Karaoke, Jeff Scott Classical Guitar Performance, and the Rush Hour Tribute Band. Tickets are $30 per person. Check out tplrushreleaseparty.eventbrite.com for tickets. And uh, tell them we sent you, man. Tell them that you heard it here because that shit goes a long way. It sounds it like a lot of fun. And I, I would uh, encourage you to let them know that you heard it here on Masters of the Cinematic Universe. 
Awesome. Yeah, usually Doug's the one who doesn't get my segues, so I was trying to like set you up there, but oh, no, he nailed good. it. I love you. Got it eventually. Neil Pierce. I, I didn't. Neil I'm Pierce. glad I didn't have anything to do because when you said that, I had no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it worked out. But anyways, guys, um, we're 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 starting something new here. We're going on a little bit of a journey here, and hopefully, you guys will uh, join us. Whether you're masters on the subject already or you're brand new to this, a virgin. We'd like to get you into a cinematic universe that we all hold fairly near and dear. Oh, yeah. Safe to say. Um, and that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, we're going to basically cover a lot of movies in short, leading up to a full, like, all-out uh, version of Endgame that, that uh, Eric's going to host coming up down the road. Who Do we have a guest on that episode, Eric? Not yet. Not yet. I don't think we do yet. But there are some interested parties, including some cats I talked to today um, at the Semantics five-year anniversary party. Uh, if she comes to, on, you know this is going to be like an eight-hour episode. I no, know, no, right? I talk, I, listen, I talked to Samantha. She actually <laughs> wants to do the big Lebowski down the road. Okay, nice. Cool. And uh, I promised her, you know, it would be a three-hour affair. So. <laughs> well, but, I mean, uh, no, EJ, she, you know, she's EJ, the, the master of her destiny. Exactly. It might, you know, Fight Club might have oh, been. Oh, I know EJ <laughs> from the U. From the U. EJ wants to come on for an episode. That might be right up his alley is the uh, resident nerd jock. On uh, Tom Can we Dan. call him Enos? Uh, Ennis? Enos? I don't know. Enos the penis? We have to, it'll have to come straight from the horse's mouth. I don't really know. But uh, we'll see him at MyCon. His wife is actually one of oh, the... that's awesome. Um, the, I guess... What do you call that? Creators of MyCon? Hosts of MyCon? It's her, it's oh, her convention. So. Oh, wow. Cool. That's yeah. pretty fucking awesome. I wonder yeah. if he'll sign my Jeremy Shockey jersey. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> That's an inside joke, Doug, from uh, Tom and Dan. Uh, EJ played football at the University of Miami, but he never saw the field because he was behind Kellen Winslow and Jeremy Shockey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would explain a lot of things. He was a a bench tight end. Okay, yeah, that makes sense with those two in front of him. Holy crap. Yeah, I mean. Talk about bad luck. (laughs) those, Those early 2000s Miami teams were literally like the NFL for the next 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. but and the, and, well, the, and the prison system for the next. Oh time. yeah, that too. <laughs> you know, I mean, a little bit of both. Exactly. Hey, you got to give and take, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a right. balance. So what? Um, is, we'll do a quick, right? Like, what's new with you guys? It's been yeah, a minute since we've talked. What's going on, guys? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Well, like I said, I just came from Rock Pit Brewing, the Semantics Five Year, and congratulations to Semantics for five years of yeah. incredible podcast. Um, they have their own beer, which is a great. Do you cool have any of them? Honor, actually. <laughs> speaking of fucking devil, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I'm about to crack it open. It's uh, I got to do the the can art for them, which was cool. So it's called Semantic Sunday. It's a Vienna Lager. I've already had mm. a few today. That's why Sounds I'm uh, delicious. I'm running so hot. I hope and I hope you're saving me uh, some of those. I I, say, I got four, so I'll save you uh, one. Or okay. Two. Fair that enough. That's fair. Yeah. But uh, that's really it for me, man. Just, uh, oh, I got a new at-home art rig. So I'm learning how to use some new programs because it's way bigger and there's some different pro- It's so fucking cool, man. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having so much fun. Joe, what's new with you, man? Well, I, too, am drinking some beer. I have this fabulous Hourglass Brewing 2 million bees and some hops, uh, which is a double dry hopped New England style double IPA with orange blossom honey. 
sitting at 8.2%. That'll blow your shoes clean off. That's a big boy beer. The last time Joe drank that, he got kind of angry, Eric. We gotta watch out. Yeah, you, you know get, the anger, the anger bees in my stomach. He got a little angry. He did. <laughs> he got man. them anger bees. But, yeah, that uh, makes sense. Other yeah. than that, just been a lot of work. Uh, I successfully dodged COVID again. Uh, my aunt <laughs> from Miami came up, and her and her son had it, and we had a family get together, um, and it hit a few members of our family caught it, but you know the majority of us didn't catch it. Uh, but after the 10 day mark, I still am testing negative and feel great. So fuck you, COVID. You missed again. Hell yeah. You dirty bastard. Um, and the people who did get it didn't really have that many symptoms. So well, that's it is. Yeah, but it, it can't. I'm on. Fuck you, COVID. Come on. Come. I'm just saying, bro. Don't, don't tempt, tempt fate, fate, Joe. I know. We don't want to lose you. That's, that's the story of my life, though. Like, if I didn't tempt fate, I wouldn't do anything. It's going to be on his tombstone when he's 95 and he passes. Yeah, exactly. I tempted fate every day. Yep. I didn't live fuck my you, life COVID. Yeah, Fuck you, COVID. <laughs> Wait, what was it supposed to say on my tombstone? Uh, uh, we, we talked about this before. It was something yeah, like we did. He was an asshole or something. But, or <laughs> I don't think it was he was an asshole. Sociopath or something like that. Something like that. We'll come. I'll, I'll come up with something for you, bud. Yeah, all right. I appreciate that. What about you, Doug? What's going on with you? Uh, same sort of thing. Work's been crazy. I've been doing a bunch of trainings. Got his new, this new gig, sort of national, actually. It's pretty cool. I'm one of like six people that are going nice. to be uh, working on this project for this product that we sell. So that's made it busy. Um, I'm off tomorrow. Yay. So Lucky. That's cool. But yeah, building some pedals, the usual stuff. Nothing, nothing fancy smancy. Any new pedals? Uh, I'm working on it. I'm I, I got two that I'm working on, but it's gonna be it's gonna be spring, late spring, early summer before I before they're ready. All right. So. Make sure that neither Will nor Andrew get number one. <laughs> oh, they're both they're both hitting me up. That's crazy. You should send it to Eric. Send number one to Eric. There you go. <laughs> send them number zero. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because neither one of them will get mad if it's Eric, I believe, which is kind of funny because like they'll get mad if it's each other, but if it's Eric. I know. I don't want to, like everyone will be like, "Oh, Eric's awesome. We love Eric." I have yeah. this strange, undeserved slice of goodwill with the uh, the whole with circle everybody. of yeah. I don't know why. I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. You're like but, the uh, popular kid. Yeah. How do you feel, Schmidt? One day I'll fuck it up and everyone <laughs> will hate me. I'll go full RJ on this on this whole crew. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, well, um, hopefully that day never comes. But if it does, we'll be ready. Yeah. Um, so back to the topic at hand. What we're doing right now is we're going to lead you guys on a journey through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going to go uh, on these Masters Class episodes all the way up to Endgame when we do the full episode like we, uh, we're talking about. And then after that, we're going to basically cover the rest of the movies that have come out after that in this same kind of style, as well as the Disney Plus series that have come out and will continue to come out. Um on tonight's episode, you're going to hear about the first three movies in the uh, franchise. That will be the original Iron Man from 2008, the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk from 2008, as well as Iron Man 2 from 2010. Um, and I should say, too, it's important to note that we're not, gonna, we're not ignoring the Marvel comics films that preceded Iron Man, because there are some of them. Yeah. They we're just, just staying MTU. MCU. Now, some of them come into play later. Spoiler alert. That's fucking yeah. pretty exciting, but not till way, 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 way later. Yeah. Now, it's not 
to say we will never cover any of them on our Masters Class episodes. We may decide to take a trip down the X-Men franchise or the Fantastic Fours or the Spider-Man's franchises as Master Class episodes also. They may not make into the full movie episodes, but I think this is the, the correct platform for doing this because there's a lot of these movies, and if we basically did that, then we'd have no time to do any of the other movies that we're going to nope. do. No, no, nope. So... We're going to spend roughly 20 to 30 minutes on each movie and give a quick rating on it and move on. Um, so without further ado, let's uh, let's talk about how this whole franchise started in the first place. Let's do it, man. Robert Downey motherfucking Jr. Would we yeah. have the MCU as it is now if not on the strength of Robert Downey Jr. and how probably. perfectly exactly. cast he was? Mm-hmm. No, and probably not. What's crazy about Iron Man is, uh, I mean, now in 2022, Iron Man is considered one of the most popular characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe over the course of its years. But at the time this came out, nobody knew fucking who Iron Man was. Yeah, dude, Iron Man, listen, I'm a comic book kid. Iron Man was a C-level superhero at best. Well, all of the Avengers were. Pretty much, man. The Avengers were not cool. You know what was cool in the 90s was the X-Men, Spider-Man. I mean, even Fantastic Four, you're slipping, you're slipping a little that's, bit because that's Marvel's first family, like it, that's the first is. family of Marvel. But that's another '60s era comic that was kind of losing touch with this modern audience. Like we, we wanted, you know, Blade yeah. and X Men and all this edgy shit in the '90s. Spawn was popular. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was a weird choice. To see, oh my God, they're making an Iron Man movie. Like, who well, I don't the know fuck? if it was a choice as much as it was all that was available because the rest oh, of them were all contracted out. That's true, man. It's like, what do we have to work with? We sold the rights to fucking Spider Man in what the '80s or something. Like, yeah, the Sony in perpetuity. Yeah. Um, the funniest part is, even though Disney owns now Fox as well as Marvel, the MCU as well as they have contracts with Sony for everything, they cannot. Because Marvel sold the theme park rights to it to Universal in perpetuity east of the Mississippi River. <laughs> Disney cannot put any Marvel shit in their parks unless that's related to any of the major franchises. That's why the only ride we're getting here is Guardians of the Galaxy. That's crazy, man. But you, yeah, it's it's weird to think about. But yeah, dude, that company was in bankruptcy forever. Yep. Like Marvel mm-hmm. was not making shit. And uh, just to stay afloat, just to survive, they sold off all those rights. Um and I'll touch on this briefly because, you know, it, it's at least worth a mention. There, those early Marvel movies that they tried to make, um, like those made-for-TV movies, like The Punisher oh, yeah. with Dolph Lundgren <laughs> and the Captain America movies, they're so bad. Oh, yeah. Like, not even close to good. But, like, the comic book fans were so starved for that kind of content. Like, all you had was yep. Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. You had the old Batman TV show and, and Wonder Woman and that kind of stuff, man. So for the chance to see the Punisher or Captain America or, you know, like that was really exciting. And it, it, they fumbled the ball. felt like they did the best they could with like a $500 yeah. budget. And like, yeah, we ordered you I guys mean, some little Caesars. Like, go. <laughs> you know what the first actual like Marvel Marvel movie is, right? Well, yes. And, and it's no. pretty funny. Not, I'm not the, talking about like, like the TV show, but yes, Howard the Duck is Howard the first the Duck, Marvel yeah. canon movie. George Lucas's classic, Howard the Duck. <laughs> Which I fucking love that movie. We have to do that movie on an episode. But it's Iron so Man, good. Yeah, I agree. But Iron Man 
took it took itself real seriously in a way that like yeah. that kind of shit didn't it was like all right we're gonna do this justice in a way that maybe iron man doesn't even deserve and uh for me they hit the ball out of the fucking park man like this stands as one of the best mcu movies and it's the first one yeah well robert downey was at the height of his career he had just come off tropic thunder when this came out so <laughs> that's that's height. your height <laughs> exactly I mean, like, he could not do any wrong at this point. I mean, he, you know, he was Kirk Lazarus. <laughs> that is that is true. He's just but, a dude dressed like another dude playing another dude. Playing another dude. But you got to admit, even after that film, this kind of saved this man's career. Like, this took him into oh, the yeah. stratosphere. Oh, he was, big time. He was yeah. still a bit of a pariah. Yeah. Yeah. For all the problems Let's just that put he it had. This way. Even though he was playing Kirk Lazarus, he was in real life more of the Jack Black <laughs> yeah that's very true and they didn't, they didn't uh, want to cast him in this like you know Favreau yeah. had to really fight for the, this choice oh, yeah. and believe me I partied with Robert Downey Jr. when he was on drugs <laughs> and he was still fun <laughs> <laughs> what a nice callback man yes yeah you know All who right. they wanted to cast in this role oh I don't oh, Tom Cruise yeah, I still hear rumors about him coming in like in the multiverse as as an Iron yeah, Man. Yeah, he's going to be ultimate Iron Superior, Man. Superior Iron Superior Man. Iron Superior Man. Iron Man. Right. Oh, that's Which, happening. This isn't spoilers because it's not out, but I'm pretty excited from what I've been seeing of Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange. Yes. Because it looks like they're doing the Illuminati and they're going to have Professor X and Reed Richards in the movie. Yep. Oh, my God. And, yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be Patrick Stewart. Do you understand the sentence you just said still blows my mind? Like we're yeah. so so spoiled. If I could I go in, in back in time and tell like seven year old me like one day, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna be talking about fucking Marvel movie. There, there's gonna be so many Marvel movies that you might not even like some of them that much. But shut the fuck up. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no one else deserves to play Professor X but Patrick Stewart. Also, like I don't care exactly. who it is. Like Patrick Stewart is Professor X. Yeah. Not a, are you not a McAvoy fan you didn't like when they took it to the first class? Well, I understand what they did because they were going back in time. You couldn't make Patrick Stewart look younger because he's never looked young, not even on Next Generation, which was in the 80s. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> but, so I understand why they had to do it. I would have preferred to see Jim Rash as Professor X, back as a young Professor what X. F- oh, my God. <laughs> you know he would have been amazing. He's amazing. No, no, I, I, I know he wouldn't have been amazing. You can't just say, like, you want to see Jim Rash and every role ever I, yeah. I literally if there's a bald role available i want to see jim rash in it <laughs> that's the only prerequisite if it's a young bald man jim rash or actually if it's a middle-aged bald man jim rash if jim it's an rash. old bald man patrick stewart if it's a young bald man i really don't know maybe right. the guy who was in ant-man and the wasp uh that played the villain Corey oh Stahl. yeah the guy who was in the strain and stuff yeah Corey Stahl. oh he's yeah Corey cool. Stahl. He's, yeah. yeah he's amazing Maybe he could be the younger. He's still not that young. I don't really know who's bald and young that's good. It doesn't usually those com- you're not usually young and bald. Like those two things don't go together. <laughs> it's a Jim Rash world. We're just living in it. We yeah. had Jason yeah. Statham for a while. He he made that pretty fashionable for that's a minute. True. There. That's true. He did. I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. <laughs> what? That's one of the greatest Jim Rash lines ever from Community, where he's looking at pictures of Dalmatians and he's like, I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. Then the rest of the show he has a Dalmatian fetish. Oh my god! He That's had a lot of fetishes. <laughs> he really did. Um, uh, but going away from Jim Rash, let's talk about this movie. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna break down this opening scene here because this is a really cool opening scene. 
Uh, we have a convoy of Humvees driving across the Afghani desert. And inside one of them is the billionaire weapons developer Tony Stark, played by Robert Downey Jr. He's riding along with some soldiers, and they're joking around. Um, and they seem to be amused by him. Like They, they kind of like his flamboyancy that he puts off, this kind of like arrogance and this kind of you know cocky, cocksure guy. Um, but all of a sudden, the convoy gets ambush, ambushed by some gunmen. Um, and the soldiers, you know, they immediately try to protect Tony Stark. They get out of the Humvee. Uh, Tony realizing that he's not in the best place to be right there because it can blow up at any time or get shot through. He takes off and uh, hides behind a rock. And a couple minutes later, we see a missile land right next to Tony. And before it explodes, what do we see on the side of the missile but the Stark Industries logo? So we find out that Tony is now in peril with his life because of something that his own company made. Yeah, man, it's it's such a great conflict to set up in that character early on is that, you know, he gets this reckoning, like this moral reckoning, which is cool. Yeah, he, he's like, you know, it's kind of shitty that like he doesn't see it until it affects him personally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's like that even in now, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that part of him hasn't changed. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But it's a cool little setup in the beginning of this movie. You know, he's. Just you could you just see how cocky and arrogant he is in like in a minute's worth of footage. I mean, like, he didn't even try very hard. Yeah. Like you don't think very long to see like that he's just full of himself. Well, I think that's what sold the world on his casting was the trailer showed a lot of that. You know, opening dialogue where he's with the soldier. He's like, no selfies, don't post. You know, don't yeah. put this on MySpace or whatever <laughs> yeah. the fuck. And just that brashness, you're like, oh shit, that's fucking that's Tony Stark, man. Like that's perfect. Yeah cast right um so the bomb goes off and he loses consciousness and we get a flashback to 36 hours earlier in las vegas um at this point tony's about to receive an award um and we get a presentation like about like kind of like this is the exposition the way they do it he was the son of the you know famous weapons developer howard stark he was a child child prodigy built his first circuit board when he was four years old his fir first v8 engine when he was six and he graduated summa cum laude from mit when he was 17. we also see that both of his parents were killed in a car accident in 1991 when he was only 21 years old and he instantly became the ceo of stark industries at that point where he still is to the day uh, we get introduced to Colonel James Rhodey Rhodes, who at this point is played by Terrence Howard. <laughs> it's hard out which, here for a pimp. Yeah, he, he yeah. does get he does get replaced a little later in the series. It's a little bit of a spoiler warning, maybe in a you know couple minutes when we get into that next movie. But um, he's you know up there to present a award to Tony Stark, but Tony's not there. Uh, so Tony's right hand man, which is his fa father's former partner Obadiah Stone, played by. Jeff Bridges, which uh, we talked a little earlier about Big Lebowski, so uh, there's a nice tie in there. He accepts the ward in Tony's place. Um, later, Rhodey does run into Tony, though, but he's in a casino partying. Um, and on his way out, we meet a reporter named Christine Everhart, played by Leslie Bibb. She approaches Tony with some questions about his ethics in the weapons uh, business, but uh, Tony kind of just hits on her, and they end up getting together at his uh, Malibu mansion. <laughs> Um, yep. Next morning. Tony. Yep. Uh, next morning we wake up and uh, Jarvis, the computer played by Paul Bettany, who uh, eventually becomes Vision in one of the later movies. Um, 
he he's responsible for Tony's house and in the research lab. We find out um, as Christine is leaving the house, she's gradu- she uh, is greeted by Tony's assistant Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who delivers one of my favorite lines. She goes, "I helped Tony take the trash out." <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yep. Uh, so uh, while while she's leaving, Pepper's trying to help Tony catch up on some business before he's heading out to an airport. Uh, Tony meets up with Rhodey. Rhodey's unhappy about the way Tony like has been acting lately. And, you know, he tells him he needs to get more serious. Um, but before long, they're both getting drunk on the airplane and like uh, flirting with the flight attendants. Uh, we get to a military outpost in Afghanistan, and Tony's there to de- to demonstrate the the newest weapon from Stark Industries, which is called the Jericho. It's a missile system that can you know track down targets and blow them up. Uh, while Tony's there, he gets a phone call from Obadiah, and he like tells them how oh our presentation went well. Um, but Tony doesn't want to ride back with Rhodey. He decides to take the Humvee back, and this takes us back to where we started the entire movie at. Uh, so in this little bit of a scene, we kind of see who a little more of who he is. We get the backstory on him. We get how he is with you know he's a womanizer type man. You know he's partying and drinking, doesn't really care about anything. But what's going to make him feel good at the moment? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's so perfect. It, again, this was before there was the promise of more of these, like the demon in the bottle stuff. Yeah. But just to see him boozing and like fucking being an asshole, like it warmed the cockles of my heart. It was like a Christmas <laughs> oh, miracle. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, to see this kind of shit writ large was fucking amazing. Um, the casting, again, even, even uh, you know, for a Marvel villain, like... Jeff Bridges to this day is one of my favorites just with his fucking delivery. Oh, yeah. Great. He built this in a cave with a box (laughs) of scraps. Like, dude, I just, uh, yeah. So at this this stage in the, and again, it's an origin movie. When we grade this, you know, it suffers from the thing that every origin movie suffers for, which is that like waiting for an hour to see the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still, man, I just I love the character development in this. Um, I think also when we grade these, let's grade these on an MCU scale, not like a total movie scale. Like we're not going to put this up against like our favorite movies. We'll put these up against other MCU movies. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that way they're they're on their own like scale because there's so many of them that we can judge that because it's it's going to be hard to get like a four point nine out of one of these movies like when you compare it to like. You know, idiocracy, for example. Right. Well, speak for yourself, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's also dangerous for me because <laughs> left to my own device, it's like, all right, Iron Man three. I'm like five point It's an Iron yeah, Man movie. Right. It exists. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll call these the Marvel, the MCU scale when we when we yeah. do rate these. Um. So Tony regains consciousness. Now he finds out he's in a cave. Um. He's got a weird device like on his chest that's connected to a car battery. He meets his uh, roommate whose name is Dr. Ho Yinsen, played by Sean Tobe. Uh, he explains that when he operated on Tony, he was unable to remove the shrapnel from his body, but he created a device which is a form of an electromagnet that will keep the fragments from shifting and causing any further damage to his heart. Um, the terrorist who captured Tony uh, walk into the room, and the Yinsen translates for them basically that they want Tony to build them a Jericho missile. Uh, Tony refuses, and they start torturing him like with uh, waterboarding him, basically. Um, well, not really waterboarding, but like putting his head underwater. Uh, 
A, a little while later, the members of the group uh, identify themselves as the Ten Rings, uh, which we'll f- find out way later down the line who the Ten Rings actually, you know, the, what that organization is all about. Um, but they're showing off this big stockpile of weapons they have, and all of them, coincidentally enough, were made by Stark Industries. Uh, Tony, like, you know, visually starts giving in, and he built. He says he's going to build them a missile, but he actually has other plans in mind. Um, he has Yintin because he has good hands, um, and then takes Palladium from his weapons collection that, he, that they supplied him with, um, and Tony creates what we come to know as the Arc Reactor. It's, it's a very small version, uh, the first the first iteration of this, um, and it's designed based on a design that's used at his company's headquarters. The power output in this is long enough to run Tony Stark's heart for 50 lifetimes, or something much bigger for about 15 minutes, which I think is a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, it's also big enough to keep the shrapnel that's inside Tony's heart from shifting further and killing him. Yinsen decides to tell Tony a little bit of backstory about himself, about how he lived in an Afghani village, how he was attacked by the Ten Rings. He doesn't know if his family's still alive or not. He also re- um, reveals that he met Tony years before at a conference, but because Tony was so drunk the night before, he probably didn't remember him. Uh... Tony seems to have a little bit of a change of heart. He begins to draw up plans for a new weapon, a new weapon system, which is a part of an armored suit that will be powered by this arc reactor that he will wear to use use it to defeat the terrorists and basically break out of there. Uh, midway through the construction, the head uh, terrorist Raza, played by Faran Tahir, he arrives in and threatens to torture Yintin because, you know, Tony's not working on the on the Jericho system he wanted. Uh, Tony says that that guy's uh, he needs him. He he can't do it without him. Um, and at this point, we get the the counting timer, and there's one day to finish up this project. So Tony works furiously all night to complete it. Um, and as Yinton's finally strapping Tony into the completed suit, telling him to get out get out of the cave, uh, you you see a bomb set off inside the cell, which is the distraction that you know lets the guards come in while Tony powers the suit up. Uh, Yintin realizes that they're not going to have enough time, so instead of like you know trying to escape, he decides to give up his life so that Tony can can get out and he'll distract the guards. Basically, uh, Tony now in this fully powered uh, first generation Iron Man suit, uh, he he uh, he's ready to go out of the cave. He starts uh, muscling his way through. Guards are trying to stop him, but the suit deflects any weapon fire that comes off of them and he can just beat them off or kill them as he pleases. Um, he does fire one of the missiles, um, at the main terrorist himself. And that guy's flung out of sight by the blast halfway out of the cavern. Tony finds Yinsen mortally wounded. Yinsen reveals that his plan was to sacrifice himself so that Tony can escape. His family's already dead, but he feels like he's going to get the chance to see them again. Tony thanks him. Um, and, Yemen, or sorry, Yinsen tells him, don't waste your second chance. You know, basically like this is your chance to get a life. You know, don't, don't let me, don't let me die in vain. Um, now Tony enraged by the fact that this guy who just like helped him, he's only known him for a couple of days, but this guy sacrificed his life for him, decides to take out the rest of the terrorists. He has a flamethrower. He has missiles. He decides not only like to take them out, but destroy the stockpile of weapons they have. Um, but, some of the larger caliber weapon they have weaponry they have starts to damage the suit. So he uses a rudimentary jetpack to launch himself out of the valley. 
Uh, not long after, the jetpack fails and he crashes in the desert. Um, and Tony decides to leave behind the suit and start hiking through the desert where he finds a couple of U.S. helicopters uh, led by Rhodey. And they're, you know, really happy to find out that Tony's still alive. Yes, they are. Surprised. So, sorry, I'm reading this so so much, but I'm I'm, I'm well, trying to make it so we can get these episodes. We got to get it done here. We got to get uh, it done. This was a cool little like area where you you meet this guy who really you know he saved Tony's life. Like if it wasn't for him, Tony would be dead. Right. Yeah, this dude was was certainly the catalyst for him becoming a a hero. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It was a. They did the fake out, which has become a trope in cinema where it's like the guy lies about his family. It's the old John Candy. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it makes you cry sometimes. Um, his family was dead all along. But it really it was affecting. It was a really cool... Um, and again, a little different than the comic books. They gave a little bit more depth to his origin than um, the early Avengers comics did. So... Um, yeah, visually, dude, like the special effects, like all the the big, ugly mechanical suit, still one of my favorite looks for Iron Man, you know, that cobbled together. It is together. a great suit. Yeah, yeah, just really well done, man. And, you know, again, this was John Favreau, like, showing the world that, hey, like, I'm the guy. Like, I can do this shit. Give me Star yep. Wars, Joe. <laughs> and then he then he turned into George Lucas and lost his touch. <laughs> yep, exactly. I'm not. I won't. I will poli- politely decline to comment on Star Wars. Right oh, now. I was trying to bait you. That's okay. It's, it's okay. We are masters doing the masters class episode, so I'm not going to let you be a masturbator. <laughs> a master dick. <laughs> um, yeah, I just uh, you know, I find no flaws in this Iron Man movie so far. At least to this point. There's some yeah, stuff. Yeah, at this point, it's great. Yeah. There's some uh, early CGI stuff that maybe don't look so good anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's not terrible. And a yeah. lot of this was uh, was done by Stan Winston and practical effects, too. Yeah. Right. This was back when Downey Jr. was still willing to put shit on his body. Yeah. If <laughs> you can like ever, if on. you can find it, watch the behind the scenes of this movie. It's really cool. Like, all the stuff. Like, a lot more of it's real than you think. Yeah. I mean, he had a real suit. He had a real helmet. Yeah. By the time we get to Endgame, Homeboy will not... Bu- he's like, put me in a <laughs> yeah. fucking a suit with a couple little balls on it, and that's it, yep. man. Yep. Animate that shit. Just like he wants it to be a gimp in Pulp Fiction. Some suit with some balls on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Tony's quickly flown back to the United States. Upon his arrival at Edwards Air Force Base... Uh, Pepper tells him he needs to get medical treatment, but Tony says there are two things he wants first, an American cheeseburger and a press conference. So Tony uh, gets his cheeseburger and uh, appears before a group of reporters, and he's clearly humble. He's no longer that arrogant CEO he was before he was captured. Um, and he announces that he intends to shut down Stark Industries' weapon manu- weapons manufacturing division like immediately. Um, while this is happening, we see Pepper get approached by Agent Phil Coulson, played by Clark, Clark Gregg, who is really the star of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Movie, uh, TV show. I love that show, too. That's uh, another great I love him. Watch. Yeah, that was one of my favorite shows. I absolutely yeah. love Clark Gregg. Um, he's a member of the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division, better known as S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Um, 
and he wants to talk to Tony about his capture, so Pepper schedules an appointment for him. I like how, like, he's all polite. Like, Nick, if this was, like, Nick Fury, Nick Fury would be like, fuck that, I'm going to talk to him right now. <laughs> Phil Coulson's like, okay, I'll wait for my appointment. <laughs> I remember creaming my jeans when they said that in the movie. I was like, fucking S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, because <laughs> too- at this point, Avengers doesn't exist yet. Right, Avengers right. is still, like, you know... Yeah, and it, it, it like just an idea so that maybe out there somewhere in Nick Fury's head, but it's not like a real thing yet. Right, everything felt like fan service for movies that could never yeah. possibly exist. Um, so later that evening, we see Obadiah confronting Tony about his actions. He's not very happy. <laughs> he knows it's gonna like drop the stock value of the company. Yeah, which he's like, by Tony, you know, these weapons really tie the room together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's messing up the feng shui. <laughs> um, that their stocks are going to take a serious drop. Their financial status is not going to be good. Uh, but Tony doesn't care. He says he thinks that Stark Industries should move forward with the arc reactor technology. Um, Obadiah thinks that's nothing but like a publicity stunt. But throughout the conversation, Tony ends up revealing that he has a chess piece arc reactor um, and refuses to allow that device to be studied for production. Um However, Tony is eventually convinced to lay low while the company can sort things out for the meantime. Uh, Pepper watches a man named Jim Kramer deliver a, scav- a scathing news segment on Mad Money. Um, oh, Jim Kramer, that's that guy that pushes all the yeah. buttons and shit. Right. I didn't realize it by name. I thought they were talking about fictitious characters here. Um, so apparently Stark's value is declining big time. Um, and Tony asks her to help him. He's created an upgraded and much more powerful mini reactor, arc reactor. He calls it the Mark II chess piece, but it's something he can't install himself. He needs um, someone to help him. Now, he does have a robot, which he called Dummy, <coughs> which I love this <laughs> robot for some reason. It's so like, it's so cute, honestly. Um, it tried to insert the arc reactor, but failed uh, because it was too big. <coughs> That being said, Pepper's hands are small enough to fit inside the chamber that's inside of Tony's chest. Pepper does accidentally yank out some cords to the old arc reactor too soon, uh, putting Tony on the verge of cardiac cardiac arrest, but the process has managed to be completed in time, and Tony tells Pepper to destroy the old bottle because he's not a sentimental person. Tony then visits Rhodes and asks him to help him with a new private project. However, Rhodey does not agree with Tony's approach to things. He thinks that Tony must have PTSD because of his capture and he just needs time to recover. Um, So Tony then turns to his best friend Jarvis, which is a computer, which is kind of sad that that's his best friend. (laughs) But uh, Tony's plans is revealed to be an upgrade to his armored suit, which he referred to as Mark 1. Now that he's going to make the Mark 2 suit. Um... Tony is studying a 3DI CGI mapped image of the Mark One, discards many of its components, and streamlines the design. Uh, meanwhile, we flash back over to the terrorist Raza, and he's been seen to have survived his battle with Tony and um, severely has been scarred by the rocket attack in the cave. Um, and as he's doing this, he's searching the desert and collecting all the fragments of the Mark One suit that Tony left behind. Uh, Tony decides that the first thing he needs to perfect is the armor's flight system. Uh, He has leg-mounted jets that were too unstable on the first one, so he decides to um, create repulsors for the feet and hand uh, palm-mounted stabilizers for balance. Pepper comes in when he's testing this, um, and they find it's also 
created a powerful repulsion beam that can be used as a weapon. So in his first test, however, the repulsor does blow him backwards and Pepper leaves a, pep a paper box wrapped gift on Tony's desk. So I like this, uh, this, this scene because we get a lot of like cool like design. We see the first time wherever he's pulling the, the machine apart where he's like on the computer like taking pieces out and stuff, Such which becomes a trademark. Such it a becomes great... a trademark of Marvel. Yeah. Um, we also get his cool garage with all the badass cars and shit inside of it that <laughs> get a couple of them get ruined when he's doing his first test. Yeah, that hurt a little bit to watch. Yeah. I, I, I like this because it gives us our first taste of Jarvis. Now, Jarvis was the Avengers butler. He was just like an old yep. dude in a tuxedo. Yeah. So to have them modernize Jarvis in this way was really kind of cool. And it pays it off cool. later, you know, in a big way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was another one of those moments where I'm sitting in the theater going, hee, hee, hee. Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's great we get to meet the real Jarvis, too. And Agent mm. Carter and, and even in uh, yes, Endgame. man. So it's, it's very cool. I agree. Um. So Obadiah now visits Tony. He reveals to the board of directors has followed an injunction, and they're going to basically take him out of Stark Industries. Tony says he's not worried because he still does have a controlling interest in Stark Industries. Um, Tony now is trying over and over again, and he finally kind of perfects the flight system and is delighted at the fact that he can fly. Um, his Mark II suit's now about done. It looks like a heavily streamlined version of the Mark I armor. Uh, Tony connects with Jarvis to monitor the progress in the suit. However, Jarvis advises Tony not to go too far, but Tony decides he's going to take it out for a test flight, and um, he's thrilled by how the suit's functioning. Um, he's pushing the limits for high atmosphere flying, but once he gets to a certain height, the freezing air causes the suit to become coated with ice and the power supply shuts down. Uh, Tony is just barely able to reactivate the thrusters in time to avoid crashing down into the ground. Um, and when he returns home, the armor is so, uh, so heavy that it smashes through three floors of his house and crushes one of his cars. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, no. <laughs> um, but as Tony's recovering from that crash landing, he notices the box that Pepper left behind and opens it up. And inside is the original Mark one reactor, um, in case is a trophy and it says proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Yes. Now I also love, was, this is one of my favorite cinematic like problems solved which was yeah you have this dude in a mask how do we show him emote and the answer is we just film his face from inside the mask in the mask around mm -hmm. some black and around some cgi stuff and that became a trademark for like how do we show this dude's face in the mask you don't even question it when you watch it yeah it just works so well man yeah it's, it's just natural um so Tony starts analyzing the data and decides to rebuild the suit using gold titanium from an old project that should solve the icing and weight problems. Uh, he, adjusts, he instructs Jarvis to add some hot rod red trim to the next suit and codenames it Mark III. Um, but then he has to leave to go to an annual benefit dinner while the new suit's being put together. At this charity event, Tony meets Agent Coulson, who wants to learn about Tony's incident. Uh, Tony leaves to dance with Pepper, and they share a moment together out in the twilight. Um, this is the scene where you can kind of tell, like, the are they, are they, are they not gonna do it, you know, type thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's cute, but you know, Pepper, of course, is smarter than that. She's not one of the trash that gets taken out in the morning. Um, <laughs> right at this time, uh, Christine, who's the reporter that from earlier that slept with Tony, 
uh, before he left for Afghanistan, confronts him, showing him pictures of his weapons being used by terrorist groups um, the previous day in an Afghan town, which was just coincidentally enough, Yinsen's home village. Uh, Tony decides to confront Obadiah on this matter, and Obadiah reveals that he is the one who put the injunction out against Tony. He's the one who said, basically, we don't want you here. Uh, Tony, or Obadiah, calls himself an ironmonger and has no qualms about sending, selling Stark Industries weapons to both sides on a conflict. Tony, now furious, returns home, where he watches the news reports of the worsening situation in the Skull Mirror region. He starts to test modifications to his hand repulsors and turns them into a weapon and blasts out several glass panes. Now that his new suit is completed, it's fitted to his body by an automatic robotic system, and uh, he flies off to this Golmera city at a hypersonic speed, determining to fix the company's wrongs. Um, it was cool, like when you see him in like this point, because this suit's like the the real suit, like that you identify with as Iron Man at first. Like yeah. this is the first time you actually see him as what you really recognize as Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. Prior to this, it was it was Spider Man in pajamas, and now you get your full fucking <laughs> webs and shit. Like this yeah. is yeah. And, you know, he has the, the palm, like, lasers and shit, and the robots putting the suit on him, which is, comes becomes a trademark. Like, they try to find, like, how many unique ways can we use to have the suit put on him <laughs> Yeah. throughout the, uh, these movies. Um, so, once he gets to the, the Golmera village, the terrorists are rounding up civilians to, to capture and execute. Uh, Tony shows up in his Mark III armor, and he's more than a match for them. Within seconds, he's defeated the first group of terrorists using all the advanced weapons, um, and he and he does it without taking out without any innocent casualties. Um, he leaves the group's leader, who is the chief lieutenant for Raza, alive um, and defenseless for the villagers to take their revenge on. Basically, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna let you guys have fun with this one. <laughs> Um, while flying to find um, any weapons that are left over, Iron Man shot down by a tank shell. Uh, he gets up, and a second shell barely misses him. He res- responds by shooting a mini-missile of his own at the tank, destroying it. Uh, using his palm weapons, um, he destroys the captured Jericho missiles. After they're demolished, Raza just shows up in the nick of time to see Tony flying off. Uh, so this is kind of cool. He goes back and kind of cleans up the mess that his company started there <laughs> yep and you get that iconic i shot a missile and walked away before it exploded scene yeah you really do it's <laughs> so badass man um at this point the centcom at edwards air force base detects tony and thinks that he might be a rogue drone uh roadie is asked about the status of any new developments uh at which point he kind of wanders off to call tony and Tony's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not me. Um, at the same time, Tony's now confronted in the air by two F-22 uh, Raptors. Uh, he tries to outrun the Jets, but, you know, they are F-22 Raptors. They're pretty fast. Uh, Tony calls Rhodey and says, yeah, okay, it is me. Um, I'm sorry. Um, Rhodey is kind of pissed off about this and tells uh, Tony that, you know, we can't have unauthorized equipment. Then Tony explains that he is the equipment. <laughs> um, at which point, Tony's hit by one of the fighter jets, which sends him flying into the wing of the second jet. That pilot is forced to eject, but his uh, parachute fails to open. At this point, Iron Man, who's now being fired on by the first jet, deploys uh, the parachute 
uh, for the pilot just in time. Um, and Tony convinces Rhodey to pass off what happened as a training exercise. I always like when, when they don't know what to do, they just say training exercise. Training exercise. <laughs> um, Tony gets back home. Pepper catches him while the robots, robotic system is removing his armor. Um, however, the disassembly is not going as well as the assembly did. And Tony quips that Pepper has seen him in situations that were much worse. <laughs> Which read into that scene, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like she's not like I, she's probably not surprised by anything this man does anymore. <laughs> like it's, it's <laughs> so just it makes the way their, it is. their love story so enduring, man. Like she's seen him at his worst and most yeah. questionable. And I like the evolution. Like you talked about the way his armor and the weight goes on him evolves throughout these movies. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like he didn't think about taking it off as like one of the steps. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> He's so That's excited funny. to get this fucking thing on. It's like oh, he I does gotta... in Avengers though when they're in the tower and he just walks out of it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we'll get there. But the oh my god. Yeah. But at this point, he's like, oh fuck! Like I need a hex screw and <laughs> god <laughs> yeah. damn it. Uh, it's like when you're wearing like a pair of button-up pants and you really got to take a piss and you're like, let's come fucking unbutton already. <laughs> that's why I've never worn button-up pants. <laughs> uh. Um. So now we see Obadiah paying a visit to the Ten Rings camp, um, revealing that he had paid the organization organization to capture and kill tony but they realized who tony was and then just decided to make a much higher price when they made their tape um using a high-powered sonic device that induces paralysis obadiah is able to immobilize raza and take the remnants of the mark one armor that they gathered up um then he just tells all his men to execute everyone that's in the camp at the same time, Tony is trying to talk to Pepper into helping him. He believes that nothing else matters but saving the people that they that he put in harm's way with his weapons. Pepper is moved by Tony's dedication, and she does agree with him. So she goes to Obadiah's office with a flash drive to pro to basically copy the files from the computer. Now, as Pepper sifting through the the stored files, she finds a video from the terrorists proving that Obadiah himself was responsible for Tony's capture. At this exact moment, Obadiah comes in the office and sees her at the computer, but she manages to hide what she's actually doing and leaves the office. Um, but as soon as he powers up the computer, he realizes what she was doing. On the way out, she sees Agent Coulson and tells him that he can have his interview immediately, so that way he can you know, basically accompany, accompany out of the building safely. Um, Obadiah meets up with a team of developers who are working on his own armored suit based on the Mark I. They have the rebuilt components, but they can't figure out how to make the miniature arc reactor. Um, Obadiah is furious, but he relents when the lead developer tells him that he's not the genius Tony is. Um, So Obadiah realizes he does have one other option. He arrives at Tony's house and paralyzes him with the the same sonic weapon, yanks the Mark II chess piece out of Tony's chest, taunting him about how it's going to be the flagship in the new era of weaponry. As he leaves, Tony realizes that he only has one hope to, to live. He looks for the arc reactor that Pepper put in the trophy and gave it to him as a gift. He staggers down to his workshop and almost dies while trying to re- retrieve the reactor, which eventually is handed to him by Dummy, the robot. Tony installs the reactor just as Rhodey arrives, and Rhodey informs him that five agents have gone to arrest Obadiah, but Tony knows that's not going to be enough, pin, enough men. Um, it's kind of like a nice little like arc here because you get the whole reveal that Obadiah set this entire thing up that not only did like this come after, like he had planned this before Tony had decided like to 
shut down the weapons division. He was already planning a takeover. This wasn't like something that happened because, you know, the weapons thing. This was something he had planned out. He had Tony captured in the first place. Yeah. I'm I'm just impressed that you called it a nice little arc and we didn't even stop to <laughs> admire what what a seamless <laughs> fucking pun that was. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. Like this was this was Marvel's first stab at, you know, a big flagship movie and already they're giving their villains more to do than like just twirl their mustaches and stuff like right yeah i that continued you know that tradition would continue with their other movies and and the villains do get more depth than obadiah does in this one like you know but but even still like they just they gave this character something to do and i appreciated it um and pepper as well man like she had some real agency in this movie even the fucking robot like we yeah <laughs> the robot saved his life. Yeah. Like, I appreciate all of that. Um, we see now Rhodey's watching Tony as he starts to suit up, and he's awestruck by the Iron Man armor. Rhodey, Rhodey asks if there's anything Tony needs. Tony asks him, just keep the skies clear. Um, as he flies away, Tony, like, spots a silver-colored prototype suit, the Mark II. But then he shakes his head and says, next time. Oh. Which is funny, because <laughs> there won't be a next time for you, buddy. <laughs> nope. But Mike, dude, the, to tease War Machine like that, like it was cool. This, yeah, this Marvel knew what they were doing before they knew what they were doing, man. Yeah. Oh. So we see Pepper, Coulson, and other agents arrive at Obadiah's research facility, where they spot the Mark One armor um, and a storage location where something else is being kept. But just as they do, a giant robotic suit comes to life and attacks him. It's uh, Obadiah's counterpart suit, codenamed the Iron Monger. And it's powered by the chess piece that he stole from Tony. Uh, Tony's flying towards the research facility. Jarvis warns him that he has only about half power in the suit because the older chess piece definitely was not designed with the power um, that the Mark the Mark III needs to design or to sustain flight. Tony arrives just as Obadiah is about to execute Pepper. Um, and the two ironclad warriors begin a huge brawling battle that spills out into the streets near Stark Industries while Tony tries to protect, protect innocent civilians. Uh, Tony flies up into the atmosphere, drawing Obadiah along with him. Obadiah struggles, but before long, his suit begins to freeze up. Chekhov's freezing suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the same icing problem that Tony had on the Mark II. Obadiah begins to fall back to Earth which and leaves Tony hovering above. The old arc reactor, though, begins to lose power rapidly, and Tony starts to fall back to Earth also. And he they basically land on top of the factory um, and run on just like whatever auxiliary power he has left for backup. Um, once we get back on the ground, Obadiah is attacking Tony again. However, Tony manages to dis disable the weapon systems tracking from Obadiah's suit and then evades him long enough to instruct Pepper to overload the building's arc reactor. This is going to generate a shockwave that's strong enough to disable Obadiah's suit. Pepper is hesitant, but she believes Tony could also be killed in, when, with this happening. But However, Tony manages to keep fighting while she builds up the power to the reactor, and the reactor releases this massive shockwave, knocks out the Ironmonger suit, which falls into the reactor, which kills Obadiah and destroys the reactor at the same time. Um... And Stark's original arc reactor sparks back to life, which allows Tony to survive. So we get the big battle scene in this movie, the big confrontation. Yeah, um, it's a really cool fight too. For you know how old this movie is. 
It is. It it veers dangerously close to what I like to call CGI fuckfest. Which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think I think it in in the way that Jurassic Park is still watchable. Like this is still what nothing really jumps out as being terrible. There's there's some oh, clunkiness to the animation. There but. are some yeah newer movies, non Marvel movies that have a budget equal to this where the CG is just tragically bad because they don't give a crap anymore. So that's true. That's this true. Is, yeah, this is easily easily watchable today. It's not even something I think about. Yeah, it's not it's not terrible, honestly. Yeah. Um so days later we get a press conference again where Rhodey's holding it and he's talking about the incident with two robots. Um, they're trying to cover this up, really. Tony's impressed, though, with the name the newspapers have come up with, Iron Man. And he decides that that's going to be his name. Um, Agent Coulson has released some cover stories about the death of Obadiah. They said he died in a small plane crash while Tony was supposedly elsewhere. And that the truth about Iron Man, who's, who's going to be referred to as Stark's bodyguard... Um, Pepper thinks that Coulson can't remember the full name of the group he belongs to, but Coulson tells them it's called S.H.I.E.L.D. and says that they will be in touch again. Uh, Tony goes before the reporters once more and prepares to comply with the cover story, but just as he begins talking, he throws away his notes and says, I am Iron Man, and then everything just fucking loses their shit and goes to a friend. That's so cool. I, I remember screaming in the theater when yes, he said man. that. It was just like the the arms up in the air, and that was like the best. I am yeah, Iron Man became cool. the fucking rallying cry. And, and again, we'll get there almost a decade later how important yeah. that line is. Yes. But in the comics, that was his cover story for a secret identity was Iron Man is my bodyguard. Yeah. So it was... I was fully expecting them to go that route, and and you had Colson right. saying like, "Yeah, here's the cover. That's your bodyguard," and for him to immediately go, "You know what? Fuck that!" Like, yeah, I'm yeah, Iron Man. I am Iron Man. Oh. I I think I think RDJ's portrayal of Tony had a lot to do with that. Yeah, they yeah. saw yeah. what they had in him and realized that that was the best way to use the tool, so to speak, that they had available to them now in Robert Downey Jr. and it was the perfect direction to go in i agree we get a um what becomes a hallmark of marvel movies the post-credit scene mm. um tony does return home and he finds this mysterious man in black telling him that as iron man he's now become part of a larger universe tony asks him who he is and he turns around and introduces himself as nick fury the director of shield played by one samuel l jackson bro um and he's come to talk with Tony about an upcoming project known as the Avengers Initiative. <laughs> Dude, when I and but even that said, like how exciting that was. Even then, I was like, "Oh, that's a nice little gift. That'll never yeah. fucking happen." There's no world right. in which like right. this continues on. And boy, mm. was I wrong. But again, you got to understand, like as a comic book kid. We used to get this this monthly magazine called Wizard. It was where you checked all the values oh, yeah, of your comics and shit. And they would do this this section in the magazine, and it was like fan casting. It was like, oh my god, imagine a world in which they made an X Men movie. Like, who would you cast? And it was like, fucking well, Patrick Stewart would make a great Professor X. There's literally a Wizard magazine where they say like, this would be perfect. It'll never happen, but imagine. And lo and behold, he was he was later cast as Professor X. So coming yeah. from that mind frame of like, 
this is not real people shit. This is not stuff that like the world cares about or a movie studio would actually fund. Uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. It felt like a gift. Just the That's hint cool. of it. it. It's great to hear that perspective because I'm strictly a movie guy. I wasn't a comic book guy growing up. So, you know, it's so cool to hear your perspective on that and how as much as this stuff means to me, it's a whole different universe for 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 you. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. Um, and it just this kind of just knocked it out of the park, you know, for, for me. Um, but before we before we go any further, let's let's give our quick Marvel Universe rating for this movie. Remember, we'll, we'll stick with our typical zero to five um, rating scale. But, you know, remember, these aren't rela- in relation to other movies. These are just in relation to Marvel MCU movies only. Like, I'm going to go out on a fear, like, you know, since since Endgame will actually be one of our regular movie ratings, it won't be one of the MCU ratings, we might have to double rate that one. Um, like, you know, give it an MCU rating, also give mm-hmm. it a regular rating. Yeah, um, I would say safely that Endgame's probably as close to a five as you're going to get for an MCU movie. Um, I mean, yeah, my MCU okay. rating and my actual movie rating will be dangerously close. On, on yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Um, for for MCU films, this even though it was the first, is one of the strongest ones for me. So I, I'd be comfortable giving this a four and a half out of five MCU rating. Um, there are better, for me, better Marvel movies that come later. There are also much worse Marvel movies that come later, but it, it's yeah. so strong. So four and a half, MCU. Okay, awesome. Doug? Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's funny. I'm, I'm looking at a list of all the movies so far and trying to figure out where I slot it in. I mean, you know, the impact it had when it came out was amazing, but even compared to the other movies, Eric is right. There are there are some that are not nearly. They don't even touch this. And there are some that are better. So, I mean, a 4.2 for me is is going to work because I want to make sure I've got some room because I've got some some movies in there that are way higher for me. You yeah, know, it meant, yeah. meant more to me. So, I'll, a 4.2 works for me. All right. That sounds pretty good. Um as far as me, I, I like that they started this out pretty strong. And this was a, a fairly strong movie, too. Like, this could have been just a standalone movie, and it would have been still relatively high compared to other Marvel movies yeah. that we had been given at this point in time. Um, it's just, it's well made. Like, um, the action's good. The sequences are good. CGI for the time was, was fantastic. The storyline was good. You know, they picked a great cast for this. Um I do have some that I just really, really love down the line that are are going to get like super duper high scores for me, as well as I have a few stinkers in there that probably aren't going to get as high scores. Yeah. Um, for me, this movie is is still slightly higher than the middle mark, though, just because of what it represents. Um, of of the movies. Now, I don't think any of these movies are going to get like a truly bad grade. I think they'll all get decent grading. Um, but remember, I do have to remember this is an MCU scale. This isn't like right. a regular movie scale. So, whereas if the worst movie on the scale, based just on solely on this scale, I would go like a one to a one and a half on. But remember, that's not comparative to every movies. It's only comparative to the movies in this universe. So I just want to clearly set that out from the beginning that like if I give something a one and a half, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means right. compared to what I come come to expect from like these movies, 
Well, we've got a great. small sampling, so to speak. I mean, we've got 20 movies, yeah. or give or take. So, yeah, yeah that that's you it's know, actually 25 that's or happen. 26. 26. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, it's 20 including something, like <laughs> when you include the series, and we're over 30. Right. But exactly. So we do have a big enough grouping here that we can we can separate this out. So. That being said, I'd probably go with this around like a 3.7 for me on okay. the MCU I, scale. I get that. I get that. One quick point I want to bring up is I think that if any of the other character origin movies were the first Marvel movie, we might not have what we have today. I agree. All right? Wholeheartedly. I mean, Unless it was Ca- Shang-Chi. Captain, <laughs> Captain America is my favorite Avenger. All right? And when we get to is his he really? movie, he is. I've, I, wow. I love Cap. All right? I guess because so, you're like a small guy from New York. Yeah, exactly, Brooklyn baby. <laughs> yeah, probably got picked yeah. on a whole bunch. No, I didn't get picked on actually because I, I was. I was the. If you want to get real quick, so I was the. You know, you had the Breakfast Club, which defined all the different types of students. I was the one they didn't talk about, the invisible one. Like me and my <sighs> friends were average normal kids, did average normal kid things, but no one knew who the fuck we were. That's yeah. where I was, so I never got picked on or anything because nobody I, knew I, was I existed. The Spicoli. Oh, you would, yeah. I, there's no question about that. But so, so anyway, yeah. I, I, I just think that that's another genius stroke, whether it was intentional or not. That if they had started with Captain America or Thor or any of the other origin movies, it yeah. might not have taken off like it did. So, the whole franchise owes I see everything. What you did there, taken off. Movie. There you go. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think agree, the franchise man. owes everything to Iron Man. Yeah, so, you know? it was it was the perfect entry point, I think, too, for yeah, like non-comic so. book people. Exactly, because it was like, oh, this is a really interesting character. He's kind of a douchebag, right? He, he earns your, you know, he's he's not a Boy Scout like Captain America. Is so pure. He's very Superman like yeah. in that he's he's the same person before he's Captain America and after he's right. Captain America. Yeah, yeah, to a fault almost. You yeah. know, and also, it, it, it can grate on you. I agree, but. It started, yeah. um, you know, the Marvels like uh, tie-in with music when you have the great song like Iron Man, Iron Man, doing whatever an Iron Can. <laughs> but yeah, man, I'm with you. Like Captain America, and and we'll get there as as we get to these movies. Obviously, we have the first Avenger and and all the stuff that Cap features in later. I was really yeah. worried about that because you do run the risk of when you have that kind of character that's hard to write because he can be boring because yes. he's so stoic. Yeah. Like, how do you make that yeah. dude interesting? And no, it's oh, true. Fuck. They did it, true. man. Like, yeah, there's a speech that captain America gives in the comics is a comic written by uh, Straczynski and it makes me cry to read it. So oh, wow. I read okay. the panel and I'm in tears. It, it stands alone as one of my top 10 moments in comic books. Nice. They wrote it into the script in a later Marvel movie. So imagine me sitting there in the theater and, <laughs> and Chris Evans starts to say the words. Yeah. And yeah. it's, yeah. spoiler alert, he's at a funeral when he does it. So it's, it right. deviates a little bit from the comic. Yep. But it's that speech of like, it doesn't matter what they say. You plant yourself like a tree. The whole thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! Like they just L- let me bow out now before I blow this thing to completion. This whole <laughs> cinematic universe. But so yeah. Eric, quickly change subjects. Doug said Captain America is his favorite of the Avengers. Who's your favorite Avenger? Well, my favorite Avenger. He's technically an Avenger, although most of the time not an Avenger. Is Spider Man? Um, Spider Man was always like a solo guy, and when he had to work with a team, it 
you know, he wasn't used to it. Um, Spider-Man was always my favorite comic book character. So when nice. fucking when Marvel finally got to use Spider-Man, that was another exciting moment because, you know, again, they couldn't do anything with it for a long time. So he shows yeah. up and he's a yeah. kid from fucking Queens. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's yeah. just it, it was a magical, beautiful moment. Perfect casting and everything. Yeah. So you two uh, New Yorkers picked, you know, New Yorker Avengers. Yes, man. <laughs> Is there a Florida Avenger? (laughs) Well, there's there's the equivalent of a Florida Avenger. He's kind of like from the Florida of space. Asgard. (laughs) Asgard. I mean, there's no way you can't imagine Thor being my favorite Avenger. No, that's true. He's arrogant. He's stupid. He's loudmouth. He's (laughs) (laughs) self-entitled. He's badass. He's powerful. Wow. Joe's writing his autobiography. The most powerful (laughs) Avenger. Yeah, no. And again, like, just I have so much trust in that studio because they hired people from the comic book industry to write these scripts yeah. and to punch them up yeah. and to say, like, hey, man, here's what works for this character. Here's what doesn't. Thor is also a character that could have been dangerously boring. Yeah. And he, and he was for a long great. time. And, you know, to make him kind of an asshole was yeah. so endearing. To, and to Hemsworth just kills it, too. Yeah, 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 he he's does. Fantastic. He's so funny, he man, and and yeah. obviously a it, fucking ridiculous physical specimen doesn't hurt. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's he brings that comedic element to it. It's it's fantastic. So. Yeah, because he's a big dum dum. <laughs> he's a powerful <laughs> yeah. big dum dum. And, and not a spoiler, but when they get to what if uh, the episode where he's like party Thor and he has to fight Captain <laughs> Marvel, it's so fucking great. It is great. Yes. Man. All right, so Iron Man, I think we're pretty much all in agreement that it is it sets the tone in a beautiful way. It's a pretty high score in the yeah. uh, in our MCU scoring. Uh, yeah, scale. it was a great entry point for this fran- franchise. Oh yeah, man. With that being said, we're moving on to another movie that came out in two thousand eight. Are we gonna take a break? You're this is the for- the forgotten MCU movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we'll we'll get back to this after we take a quick break. Hey, you guys want to uh, grab a beer? Oh, always. S- sounds good to me. All right, I got a spot. Hourglass yeah. Brewing in Longwood, Florida. I don't know. Now, listen, Doug, I know you're from out of town. This is the place I go for all my local craft beer. Delicious, 40 beers on tap. And the best part is it's a haven for nerds like me like you yeah the 240 seat longwood tap room they stock that with nerd nostalgia video games board games cornhole boards they even have a dog friendly patio you can't beat that absolutely love it i mean i feel like i know this this uh, establishment just from eric's instagram and facebook because he's there a lot um they support his art and the local artists in the area and uh, I'm excited. The first time I get back down to Florida with these two guys, uh, we're heading over there. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait. Yes, the art, the arcades, the pinball machines. There is uh, literally an homage painted on the wall to uh, Rick Moranis and Spaceballs. I mean, what more can you ask for in a brewery? Hourglass Brewing, Longwood, Florida. Uh, check it out. Go there. They are sponsors of the show. They support us. Go support them. 